0: If you have your Bible with you, how about if you open up to Luke chapter 1 and uh, stick your finger also in Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're going to find them in the pew rack there in front of you or you can follow along. Last week we looked at Christmas through the eyes of uh, Romans chapter 9 and uh, then we transferred over to Luke chapter 1. So I wanted to pick up again at, at Luke chapter 1. Here's what we kind of talked about. You see on the screen that through Romans chapter 9, we understand that at one time We all, if we were apart from Jesus Christ, were objects of God's wrath. We stood in a place where we had God's wrath upon us. But because of what Jesus did, we became objects of His mercy. But we went on to learn last week as we saw through Mary and the activities that God did in her life in Luke chapter 1, that we also have the opportunities to become objects of His glory not just to stop at the point where we become objects of His mercy, where we got our, our ticket into heaven, but rather that God would continue to work through us because we could be objects of His glory. So here's my premise for this. There are things that God's going to call you to or things that He's already called you to, things that you've been gone through, or things you might be in the midst of right now that you have absolutely no answer for, and you can't understand what's going on. It feels like things are spiraling, perhaps, out of control. And in the midst of that moment, you're trying to grasp what's going on, but the why factor is not always known. There are very clearly in our walk with God some circumstances in which He calls us to things that are beyond us. Here's an example for you. We think back to Mary last week in Luke chapter 1. She's told that she's found favor with God. God sent the angel, said to her, you have found favor with God. So in that favor is the choosing, like we learned in Romans chapter 9. God chose us, but He chose Mary. But getting God's favor doesn't always necessarily equate to getting the assignment you want. Now it's a wonderful thing that she got to bear the child of God, the Son of God. But she's the teenage girl with plans of her own. She didn't know that God's intervention was going to take her down a whole new trail. Let me refresh you on this. Luke chapter 1 on the screen, verse 31. Here's the bombshell that was dropped on her. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So Mary had a natural response I'm a virgin. How could this possibly happen? You see that In, in verse 34? Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? When the angel responded in verse 37, there's nothing impossible with God. So Mary is an object of God's mercy. chosen by God for the opportunity to become an object of His glory and reflect what God wants to do. Uh, we would look this, at this in 2013 and say, that's not only cool for Mary, but how do I become an object of His glory? If I'm a person who walks with Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, I want that. I want because there's purpose in that. Well, let's fast forward to Matthew chapter 1. I told you to stick your finger in there. And we understand that Mary's journey doesn't just include Mary, somebody else has got to come along with Mary because her burden is going to impact other people. When God calls you and I to certain things, it affects the other people around us. In her case, specifically Joseph. So here's a little background for you. In the first century, when Joseph was living, Typically, young men and women would expect to live to about the age of 45. It was very unusual to live to the age of 50 and older. It was kind of rare. 45 was life expectancy in first century Israel, in part of that part of the Roman world. Now, Joseph has probably just finished apprentice school. He's apprenticed to become a carpenter. Well, we'll see that in just a moment. So let's pick up in Matthew chapter 1, and we're told a little bit about Joseph and Mary. It says this in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just, your Bible might say righteous, it means the same thing, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, I understand from the Bible that Joseph is a construction worker. He's a craftsman. Uh, the word architecton in the Greek language means architect. That's where we get the word architect from. It means a master craftsman. But the word tecton, not architecton, but tecton means a construction worker. Well, that word is used here in Matthew 13. You see it on the screen, verse 54. It says this, Jesus began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the tecton's son? So Joseph is a construction worker. He's a carpenter. We're also told in verse 19, he's a righteous man. What does that mean? Well, he's an Old Testament saint for sure. He's a follower of God before the days of Jesus Christ. He's already following God. And so that means he knows the Mosaic Law. He's living his life according to the law. That means he's very strict about his behavior. And in verse 18, we see that he's betrothed. He's betrothed to Mary. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple words in your notes this morning you can find on the back side. Uh, they're listed as Greek words, but one of them actually is Hebrew. The first one is Greek, nistuo. Now, here's how that is effective. Um, when a young man and a young woman become engaged in the first century, the nistuo is the representation of the engagement ring, what we know today as, as the ring that we would exchange. Um, in their case, it was a gift of some type. It could have been a ring, but more often than not, it was a, what the Greek language calls a souvenir gift, something that's representative of the commitment that's just made. Now, the second component of that is the other word that you have in your notes, the word katuba and here's how the ketubah was used. When a young man or young woman decided they wanted to get married, um, they would meet at the synagogue. And at the synagogue, the, the priest or the rabbi would join them along with the mom and the dad of the groom and the mom and the dad of the bride. And over a cup of wine, they would join their hands, and there would be a pronouncement of marriage that they were going to be joined in wedlock. However, The ketubah was merely a legal document. So this cup of wine was picked up after the pronouncement. They would each take a drink from it, and then the rabbi would record in the legal documents the fact that these two were committed to each other. However, that was the beginning of a 12-month waiting period. So the groom would go back to his parents' house for 12 months, and the bride would go back to her parents for 12 months. And during that 12 months, the groom would be working on putting their household together, setting up their home. So where we come to this story is we find that the names here, according to the betrothal, have already been recorded in the legal documents. There's been a public commitment, and they've entered into the 12-month waiting period, waiting for the actual wedding day. And during this one-year period of time, they didn't have a lot of contact with each other. It was very, very limited and supervised by the parents. So Joseph is going about his 12-month waiting period. What's on his mind during this period of time, guys? He's thinking of his wedding night, right? He's not thinking about the bridesmaid dresses. He's thinking about what's coming. His wedding day is approaching. Mary's working on wedding plans. So these two have all the plans of a young bride and groom, and we're told in verse 18, you'll see this on the screen again before they came together, she was found to be with child. She's pregnant. This has never happened before. And you talk about unpacking a full verse, she's found to be with child by the Holy Spirit in the midst of this 12-month waiting period of time. They've had no sexual contact with each other, and she's found to be with child. Now, Joseph has become aware of this. It must be obvious at this point. She must be showing, and he's naturally assumed she's been unfaithful because her pregnancy is obvious. This is extremely serious. First century Middle East, a young woman who's engaged to a man who's pregnant outside of marriage... This is a death sentence or at a minimum a divorcial reason, a reason for divorce. So Mary's virginity is evidence of her godliness. That's why she uses the argument with the angel. Wait, I can't be pregnant. I've never known a man. How is that possible? Well, we understand that this is something beyond us. If you would ask me the question, how does the blending of the divine with a human work, I'd have to say I have no idea. I can barely operate my smartphone. I, 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 I don't know. I don't even if God would explain this, could I understand it? I, we're not told. I can barely fathom God's creation of the universe, but we're told here she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Here's what we do know. It's extraordinary, and God's word is very, very clear this birth took place through a woman look at galatians 4 4 on the screen when the fullness of the time came god sent forth his son born of a woman do you know what's amazing about that verse there's no father mentioned there's no mention of a man and in the bible men are always mentioned in the genealogy of children we're told here there's no human father jesus had to have a human parent or he could not have been human but he also had to have a divine parent or he couldn't be the perfect sacrifice. So he's fully human. He knows everything that we know. He knows the weaknesses that we know. He's been tempted as we've been tempted. But as fully God, Jesus alone can pay our penalty for sin. So his mama is a human. His father is nothing less than God the Father. And we don't know how it happened. We just accept it by faith. Now what you've just heard, Joseph knows nothing of this. This is completely new information to him. He's never heard this before. And at this point, you want to say, Joseph, wait, read Matthew chapter 1. Not been written. He has no way of knowing. It's not possible for him to do that. Here's what we do know about Joseph. He's introspective. He's not a pushover. And this is a man of action. He's adventurous. He knows God's word. You read chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you see... Time after time after time, Joseph does what needs to be done. He responds to the situation. But here's what we also know about him. He is very, very careful to observe the law. And a violation has been committed. If what he assumes to be true is true, the girl is no longer a virgin. And she's no longer eligible to be married. So take all that information facts and set it aside. And just look at Joseph the human. His heart is crushed. He's been shamed publicly. The one that he's committed himself to is pregnant and it's obvious. So he's got a dilemma. Now strictly speaking, being a just man under the Mosaic law requires him to take action. Joseph cannot not Mary, Mary, he he just can't do it. If he goes through with the marriage, it's a tacit admission of his own guilt. So he can't do it. So he comes up with a new plan. His new plan is to keep both his justness and his compassion intact. And he's going to do that by not wanting to disgrace her. According to verse 19, he's going to send her away secretly. Here's the situation. He lives in Nazareth, small town. He's just finished apprentice school. He's publicly engaged to this woman. But he's got a new business, and he wants the income from the business. He's put his shingle out, if you will, his sign saying, I want to build your furniture. Come to me. I'll be your carpenter. I want to do the work on your house. So it's expected under the Mosaic law he will divorce Mary. You want future business? Your reputation is everything. So Joseph's world is spiraling out of control. We come to verse 20 and we discover that because his world is spiraling and he can't grasp it in the moment, God draws him in to the mystery of the incarnation. Verse 20, it says, but as he considered these things, stop right there. If you have your Bible today and you don't mind writing in it, I would write God knows my thoughts because right there we're told Joseph's thinking It's spiraling around in his head. Nobody knows what he's thinking, but as he's considering these things, we're told, Behold, an angel of the Lord, verse 20, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, let's take the 30,000-foot view. Let's take God's view instead of Joseph's view of this situation. You're looking down on this. Joseph is considering putting her away and divorcing her. His world is spiraling out of control. Let's take the heaven view now. God's on his throne. And in a moment, just that quick, God calls one of his messenger angels to his side and says, I want you to go and deliver a message to Joseph and explain this situation to him. So in this flash of time, one of God's warriors steps through the fabric of time, is dispatched from the throne room, still effervescing with the Shekinah glory. And he comes to Joseph with this information. My take is this is probably Gabriel. We're not told right here specifically, but what we are told is that Gabriel is the angel who typically delivers information to the Jews as a matter of fact, here's an example for you. This, this is when Gabriel is speaking to Zechariah. Luke 1.19, The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you. So we've got probably Gabriel effervescing with a Shekinah glory coming to speak to Joseph and in this heartbeat of a moment, we're told in verse 20, he calls him out and says, Joseph, son of David, Now, you may have never paid attention to that before. This is really significant. That means Jesus is going to be born through royal lineage. Here's how important this is. If someone came to me and said, Mark, son of your grandfather, 28 times removed, that's essentially what he's saying when he's saying son of David. 14 generations. 14 generations ago, your great, 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 great grandpappy, King David, walked the earth. You're in his lineage. Why is that important? because we're told according to the Bible that Jesus would come through the Messianic line through David. And he's reminding Joseph of who he is. It's a time of crisis in his life. And God says, I know who you are. I even know your ancestors. In verse 20, we're also told, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, Joseph, not only don't divorce her, take Mary and marry the girl. The, the child, therefore, will legally be the son of Joseph, legally the son of David, even though he's not the real son of Joseph, legally through the line, the son of David. That's very important because last week you saw that the angel said to Mary, your son who will be born will inherit the throne of his great, 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 great grandfather, David. Look with me on the screen. Luke one thirty two. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. How significant is that? Enough that God wants it repeated over and over and over again because his word has promised it. Let that register in your mind. So in verse 20, we're told, the angel said to him, don't be afraid. In the past, if you've been here at New Hope, I've told you that this word afraid, fear, is Yahweh, to stand in awe of God. Well, in this case, that's not what it means. In this case, afraid is don't shrink away from doing something. Don't shrink away, Joseph, even though it's very hard. Don't shrink away from this. Now, according to Luke, Mary's told Jesus' name. But here, Joseph is not only told his name, He's told why. Do you look at that very closely? Verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, why? For he will save, meaning this child's got a destiny. Now this verse, 21, you might want to circle it. This is what's known as a positional verse. And it focuses your thoughts perfectly onto why the story's even being told. So Joseph is being given this positional statement because in this moment, he cannot grasp what's going on. You have this information today. Joseph didn't have this. In his 20-year-old mind, he's hearing things no one has ever heard before. Jonah didn't know this. Noah didn't know this. Moses didn't know this, that Jesus was going to be born to this virgin in order to save his people from their sins. It was going to require the sacrifice. This is amazing information. Now, let's step back again because we're told that the angels only deliver the information that God tells them to deliver. This is not a fallen angel. This is Gabriel, probably, an unfallen angel who communicates information that God has given him. And this unfallen being communicates very specific, and the Greek language picks it up really well. He says, He will save his people From their sins. He is emphatic in the Greek language, meaning he and no other. Meaning he and no one else is capable. Meaning he is the only one. So if you really drill down into this, when he says you are to name him Jesus, there's no options. It's an emphatic command from God. You are to name him Yeshua. Why? Because it means Yahweh saves. And the angel understands who this one is. For Joseph... Completely new. No expectation that the Messiah would surrender his life. People didn't know that. Now, the angel's gone in this moment. We end with verse 22. The angel apparently departs, and what takes place next is just commentary. But here's what it says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you notice that he speaks of the words that are spoken not by the prophet but as spoken by the Lord through the prophet because we know that the Bible is full of God activity, God's activity, God's actions that man has recorded. So here's a really basic truth being told to you this morning right there in verse 22. All these happenings, All these activities in the New Testament are the culminations and the completions of the fulfillment of the revelation of God. So here's the revealed fact the angel shares. The virgin will conceive. How preposterous is that? Have you ever heard of anything of a pregnant virgin? It's only happened once. It's never going to happen again. God said, Here's the most amazing information. Not just that the virgin will conceive, but equally as stunning, she's going to call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So you fast forward to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and he's standing before 500 people. He's ascending into heaven, and what's the last thing he says? Surely, I am with you to the end. God with us indeed. God with us in the beginning, Matthew chapter 1. God with us in the end, Matthew chapter 28. And all of it has its roots in God's eternal word. How do we know that? Look at this on the screen. Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers. Your Chevy truck is going to wear out. Your house is going to need a new paint job. The flower fades But the word of our Lord endures forever. Is that an amen, church? I thought I heard you say that. Why is that that so important to you? Because Joseph knows these things, that this information is so important to him. He's heard these rumors throughout his entire life about a Messiah coming. Just like you have the book of Revelation today. It hasn't happened yet, but you've got this information. You don't quite know how to understand it. That's Joseph with the information about the Messiah. Let's let's make it even more practical than that. Let's take the fact that God said His word endures and it stands forever. In your life, in 2013, you sit here today on December 15th. How do you know that you're an object of His mercy? Because the word of the Lord endures forever. How do you know that you don't have to go to bed tonight worrying that you, when you wake up tomorrow morning that God will have rejected that plan and thrown it away and said, I'm going to do something else because of the word of the Lord endures forever. When you turn on the news in the morning, you're not going to find some news reporter saying, oh, newsflash, God has just thrown away the eternal plan of destiny. That's not going to happen. Congress might vote to take things away from you, but God cannot lie. So God's word endures forever. Joseph is putting these pieces together. Look at his reaction, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Yeshua. See, in my book, Joseph gets the gold star for discipline. I'd put it right in the middle of his forehead. Remember getting gold stars when you were little kids in kindergarten? Maybe you didn't get them, but we did in my kindergarten class. He gets the gold star for discipline. Yet now he has to alter all of his plans. Why? Because he's an object of God's mercy, who's been given an opportunity to be an object of God's glory. Even though the circumstances are really, really hard, he's got to redirect his life plan. New course correction. But you know what you see here? He owns it. He totally owns it. It is absolutely inconceivable that God would ever entrust his one and only son to a man who is not fully committed to his family. And he's entrusted his one and only son to Mary and to Joseph. Why? Because Joseph owns it. You see him running to Egypt with Jesus to avoid the murder of the baby when Herod's trying to kill him. He's willing to relocate his entire household. This guy is all in. Yet even one step further than that, we're told in verse 25, He kept his wife a virgin. See, that's how much he owns it. How is he able to do that? Just like you. He had God's word. You got God's word in your hands, church. He knows God's word. And God's word said in Isaiah, Behold, the virgin will conceive. But it didn't stop there, did it? It said the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And he's just had all the pieces of the puzzle put together. So he knows God's word. He takes it and he applies it to his life. He's heard from God. And God said, Joseph, I know you. I even know your daddy. I know your daddy's daddy. And I know what you're thinking in your private moments. I know you're thinking of divorcing the girl. My word stands forever. Let me tell you what's really going on. That's what you see being fleshed out here in this story. So he's violating all the customs of his time and he immediately takes Mary into his home. He's not waiting for the one year period and he knows this church, this is where I end. He knows there will be the old biddies at the well who will be gossiping. And they will be casting stones. There will be much gossip, there will be much misunderstanding. And yet in the midst of that, he's willing to adapt to God's will for his life. Why? Because an object of his mercy has the opportunity to be an object of his glory. How cool is that? You're in the same place this morning. God has chosen you. He selected you. You belong to him. It's not good just to remain as objects of his mercy, but rather looking for God's activity so we can be an object of his glory. So I'm going to ask you to pray this week. The same way I'm going to pray this week. Not just about the building thing that we've talked about, but you personally. That you would be in a place today and tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to recognize God's activity in your life. And when you recognize God's activity, that you would respond to it because if God's brought activity into your life, it's because He wants to make you an object of His glory to expand His kingdom. Would you pray with me with that, that way? Would you agree with me in prayer over that? Let's pray together, church. Father, I thank You for truth that's revealed in Your Word. And, and we could read the Christmas story 50 times. And every time there's something new. So your word is truly alive, it's truly active, it's truly sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you, Father, for revealing truth. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. For those who know you and are in relationship with you, God, I ask that as you bring activity into their life this week, that they would be in a position to not only recognize your activity, but, Father, to respond to it, to respond to it in such a way that we bring you glory. Glory here on earth so that we expand your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for the, being the position and the privilege of belonging to you. Father, drive these truths deep in our heart, that your word remain. My words can disappear, Father, but your word remains. So as your Holy Spirit massages this in our thoughts this week, God, drive it deep. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.